0: Welcome to the Conscious Clinician podcast. We have honest conversations about the triumphs and challenges of pelvic health physical therapy. Each week, we bring you inspiration and practical tips to thrive in your work. And now, here's your hosts, Dr. Monica Stefanovic and Dr. Sammy Steele.
1: Welcome to the show, everyone. Today, we've got a very special guest, Dr. Allison Shrikandi. Dr. Allison Shrikandi is a board-certified physical medicine and rehabilitation specialist, and she is the chief medical officer of pelvic rehabilitation medicine. She is also the chair of the medical education committee for the International Pelvic Pain Society. She is working with other experts in the field of chronic pelvic pain to develop training modules for residents and physicians interested in learning about the diagnosis, treatment, and management of chronic pelvic pain. A leading expert on pelvic health and a respected researcher, author, and lecturer, Dr. Shikande is a recognized authority on male and female pelvic pain diagnosis and treatment. Welcome, Dr. Shikande.
2: Thank you. Thank you, Monica and Sammy. I'm really excited to be here.
0: We are so excited to talk about collaboration in this episode, but before we get there, we'd love to know, how did you get to where you are right now? What's your journey been?
2: Yeah, it started off really in residency in physical medicine rehab, so a rehab doctor. And I was pregnant with my first child during my final year and really had a lot of issues postpartum with my pelvic floor muscle dysfunction, pelvic pain, the classic kind of pain with intercourse, urinary urgency, frequency, some discomfort with prolonged sitting. And I just really couldn't find anyone to help me. My OBGYN checkup was clear, ultrasound was normal, was offered eventually percocets for my discomfort. And I really just this amazing pelvic floor physical therapist who just opened up this world to me and as a rehab doc we're extensions of physical therapy so yeah I just thought it was really cool and there was a need for this so
1: very cool I am curious I don't know much about physiatry in general I think it's not a a very well-known medical specialty and then within that pelvic pain seems like such a niche specialty. How did you get additional training or mentorship in this area as a resident in physiatry?
2: Yeah, you're right. Physiatry is not a well-known field, I think, because within it, there's a lot of different niches. But what we do is we're trained not in one organ system, but we're trained really to look at the interplay between the organ systems with each other, as well as the organ systems with the fascia, the muscles, and the nervous system. So we really are perfect for the chronic pelvic pain world, given the complexity (laughs) of the pelvis, the way we look at the body. I think is actually the perfect quarterback for our patients. And then we we bring in different specialties based on the individual presentation of the patient. So the way I got into it was my own interest. And then I was lucky enough to have excellent mentors across the board and really in gynecology. I spent time with well-known gynecologist, neurologist, dental nerve surgeon, as well as one of the founders of ultrasound guided procedures up in Toronto. That was the combination I put together and also um, an excellent urologist kind of taking the physiatry approach to what they were doing, but putting the rehab spin on it. So I've just been very lucky to have excellent mentors who really taught me a lot.
1: That's a, yeah, and it sounds like you created your own path such a niche specialty. And in some ways, you have to really seek out all of those people to get that knowledge that you need in order to practice in this field. So that's really an interesting
0: story. Thanks. Yeah, it's been a journey for sure. So as a patient, you had this experience that is so common to the people we see. Nobody to help you. Everything's normal. Maybe you start to think it's in your head. Maybe you start to worry, am I the crazy one? What's going on here? How has your patient experience changed as a result of your own personal experience being a patient?
2: Yeah, Monica, you hit the nail on the head, really. That is really the mission of of Pelvic Rehabilitation Medicine, is to help patients who have been ignored, underdiagnosed, undertreated, tossed around the system, and by the time they get to us, they really do think it's in their head. Quite often, they're told to have a glass of wine, just relax, so mm-hmm. everyone comes thinking that there's a problem in their head. So yeah, that is our mission um, of why we do what we do. And definitely, having experienced the symptoms myself, it is a lot easier to empathize and understand. So when they're telling you about their burning sensation of UTI, that won't go away. And I'm just nodding, like I get it, I get it. Cause it's frustrating. So I can relate to that frustration with the medical system. And as a physician myself, it, it's a challenging complicated area of the body, but I think in medicine we're making gains and I think it really is important to not fail the patients, because I think we we have. (laughs) So I think a lot of it's on us as healthcare providers to just continue to figure out ways to help our patients lead a better quality of life, uh, pain-free with intercourse, exercise, working, doing all the things everybody loves to do, because quality of life is extremely important. So yeah, that's how I would say I'm applying it. Really, when the
1: symptoms are described, I can completely relate, so it has helped for sure. Yeah, I think that as a pelvic floor PT, there's so many additional demands on us in terms of caring for patients who have psychosocial concerns, maybe trauma history. There's also an element of embarrassment or shame talking about these sort of topics as a provider, have you struggled with dealing with some of these additional demands on you? Has there been some challenge to working with patients in this realm?
2: Yes, 100%. And in our our patient population, there is a higher percentage of history of trauma, pelvic trauma. So that is always important to keep on the forefront. And the the pelvis is the core. So there is such a strong emotional bond with our male and female, but particularly our female patients, that, that strong connection. And I think we tend to sometimes hold some of our stress there in the pelvis that we don't even know. Sometimes it's a subconscious. So a lot of it is really addressing the patient from that biopsychosocial approach and understanding the different life stressors in combination with what's going on. It's really important in in the world of the pelvis. Understand, is it long hours, a lot of sitting, what's going on at home, what's going on with your job? So we do bring that in. And we have excellent pain psychologists that work with us who are fantastic at also helping us with that.
0: So it sounds like you have access to a full multidisciplinary approach, which we know is what is best for people with chronic pain. And so often it's so poorly executed in our system. How do you facilitate that true collaboration or how do you determine where people need to go next on their journey?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. We're always working with physiatry and pelvic floor physical therapy for every patient. We are lucky enough to have excellent Pebble Four PTs around all our clinics. And then a lot of emailing, texting, calling as needed as well. But you need that communication for sure to work collaboratively to get our patients better. And then in-house, we do have pain psychology. So we have interdisciplinary meetings with physiatry and pain psychology to discuss case studies and how we can continue to improve to work together. And then, of course, we can chat about patients through our EMR with our pain psychologist. And then we have a a gynecological endometriosis surgeon, too, who's also joins us on our monthly national physician meetings. So been great to have her educate us on what's going on in the OR, right? So we learn a lot from her as well. And then we're bringing on nutrition as well in a couple months too. So I think nutrition will be an added benefit for our patients. And we'll also bring that nutritionist into our monthly meeting. So a lot of it's just talking case studies and then talking about individual patients as needed and continuously trying to get better. That's a work in progress.
0: That's awesome. We just had on actually a patient for one of our recent episodes and that patient was saying, I just wish all of my providers could get in a room and talk about me and help me to connect all the dots together where the pain psychologist can inform the other providers. And so it's so cool to hear that. In my experience, the only place I was familiar with that was in acute care. Maybe in a sniff, you would talk about that or something. And it's those people definitely need it. But so do the people in the outside world who are trying to navigate this complex diagnosis. And we just have them navigate their own system. And if we're medical providers and we're struggling to figure out what physiatry can offer and how we can work together, how is a patient supposed to find you? Unless they're on the depths of the, the internet, there's got to be something else out there. It's not a great experience, that's for sure.
2: No, Monica, that's so true. And you're right. It's from our inpatient. When I first graduated, I did a bit of inpatient rehab, and that is where you learn that interdisciplinary approach. And you have meetings, like you said, with everybody, right? Social work, physical therapy, nutrition, physiatry, everyone deserves that. So that's the ultimate goal. And that's really the the dream, I think, of any healthcare provider practicing in this chronic pelvic pain world to have that.
0: Yeah. So how do you work closely with PT? since that's our niche area, that's what we know the most about.
2: Yeah, we work together to essentially get
0: a patient better,
2: of course. If a patient comes to us and they hadn't tried any pelvic floor PT, we'll send them for PT and then have them follow up. That's always the first step in our treatment protocol. And then we can do more if the patient's plateaued or got 50, 60% better, but we're just trying to get them over the hump to get 100% better. So the way we work with PT is, we're really, we have the same approach where we're trying to treat the central sensitization process, decrease that peripheral neurogenic inflammation. So really help that patient's pelvis heal and get better. But with whatever tools we have are different. But what's great about physical therapy and physiatry is we have the same goals, right? We're trying to make patients have a pain-free life, more functional, and ultimately rehab their pelvis and make them stronger. So you see us once a week, pelvic floor PT once a week, but ultimately we work really nicely together because we have the same exact goals for the patient. It's just whatever tools we have in our box, we use them.
1: Very nice. So if you have a patient who comes in and they've never been to pelvic PT before, is that something that you consider the first line treatment or do you often work with them in terms of medication interventions or injections at the same time? How do you balance where to go first with a patient like that?
2: Telethore PT is the first line, we would say. And then again, on follow-up, if they're better or not where everybody wants them to be, we work with the PT, again, together again. <laughs> so it's once a week us, once a week PT, and then we'll add medications as necessary, suppositories or oral meds, depending on the patient. The patients do really well when we work together. So that multimodal approach. It really works very nicely and they get better faster. So we're always trying to decrease the chronicity and hopefully even prevent that chronic cycle if possible. That's our ultimate goal. We don't want patients to get into that.
1: Yeah. From a communication perspective with your pelvic PTs, when you're looking at this interdisciplinary care and you're looking for some communication and information about how things are going with the patient, what sort of information is most helpful for a PT to share with you? What specific things do you want to know about them? What information can we best pass along so that you get what you need to help them best to
2: Yeah, that's an
1: excellent question.
2: I would say the patient's progress is important as well as are they doing their home program is really important to know. Helping reiterate dilators are really helpful for us as well as discussing quite often there's a concomitant right hip impingement. So saying, Allison, maybe we should get imaging of that right hip. It it does help. We love that when you discuss, we're working with the patient for an hour, they were doing well, but I really think there's something going on in the right hip that is helpful for us. Or the patient responded really well to the serola belt. Maybe we should consider it. Or I know the levator ani is releasing really well, but that obturator internus, maybe can you help me and let's treat that as well. So it's just tag teaming it. That's what we are used to and what we like. So
1: that's classically what we'll get in an email. That's excellent. I'm not used to some of the physicians that refer being so interested in those specifics. I think that's a really cool thing about physiatry and working with that pelvic pain realm is that you're so focused on the specifics of the pelvis. You can have interventions directed towards certain muscles, but oftentimes we're getting referrals from maybe an OBGYN or a urologist, and they may be more focused on the organ system, but not those specific muscle groups or things like that. It's helpful to know what each specialty is also looking for and what they can provide for a patient if you discover any of these things.
0: Yes. So going off of that collaboration, we saw that you also have an upcoming Herman and Wallace course. I think by the time this airs, your course will have already happened, but hopefully it does so well that you are able to do multiples of it in the future. Could you tell us about what that course would involve, what kind of things you'll be covering in it?
2: Yeah, definitely. So overall, it will involve the pathophysiology of chronic pelvic pain, the physiatry approach to the problem, as well as how we can best work together with pelvic floor physical therapy and physiatry to get these patients better faster, again, better in terms of quality of life. It's a, it's a non-operative approach to pelvic pain, essentially.
0: Excellent. So for anyone who wants to learn more, check that out. Hopefully there's another round of it. You could take a deeper dive beyond this podcast. Yeah, thanks. So
1: I'm curious to pick your brain a little bit next about the connection between the psychological mental health aspect of things and pelvic pain. I know that you shared you work with a lot of pain psychologists and from your perspective as a physiatrist, what sorts of information do you get from them that's helpful in guiding your interactions with the patient, how you communicate or collaborate with that specific patient based off of a psychological diagnosis too? Yeah, there
2: is a strong connection with the mind-body connection in pelvic pain. And in chronic pain in general, right, there's this upregulation of the nervous system. So a lot of it is talking with patients and our pain psychologists, how we can calm down the nervous system. So a lot of talk about breathing techniques, muscle relaxation techniques, some guided imagery, whatever the patient enjoys doing to help calm down their central nervous system and just release the pelvis. Because as we know, there are certain areas of the brain that are strongly connected to the pelvis. So it is important to kind of rewire them so they're not contributing to that spastic pelvis. So that's really what we're doing, as well as some one-on-one cognitive behavioral therapy,
0: of course. So I think of patients who are already seeing a therapist and they may come to see you. How often are you deciding that they need to see pain psychology rather than their therapist? Rather than their current therapist? Or maybe in addition to?
2: Yeah, that's a great point. It really depends on what they're, reviewing and
0: going over with their current therapist.
2: But quite often what we'll do is we have two courses, retrain pelvic pain, which is six sessions, as well as thriving with endometriosis, which is five sessions. So they're more group courses. So for someone who comes and says, you know, I've been working with a great psychologist for five years. I'm super happy with them. So then we'll direct them more to a group course rather than away from a psychologist that they're really working well with. So it's more pointed towards the pelvis. However, it's still allows them to keep their relationship with their own therapist
0: that's a great segue in between that's excellent is that only for patients of yours currently or is that an offering that someone else would be able to sign up for yeah
2: it is only for PRM patients yes we had
0: tried others but it just got so full so fast so
2: (laughs) so yes it is for PRM patients at this point
0: Yeah, it highlights just how many more pelvic providers in all specialty areas we really need because we're getting outpaced here. And I find that as it becomes more popular on social media, there's more and more people who are coming out saying, I need this. Where do I go for help? How do I send over my friend or my sister? Because we just learned that what we thought was normal isn't. Exactly. That's exactly
2: right, which is a great thing. It's wonderful to see the awareness. It's been great to see over the years compared to when I first started till now. It's been quite a change in a a positive direction.
0: Yeah. It seems like people more so believe that this will help. And before it seemed like you almost had to explain to them, this is why PT, or I'm guessing even physiatry, like this is why we might be able to help you. And now people are like, I think you'll be able to help. How do I get it? And it's that kind of shift.
2: Exactly. Exactly. So, great job, guys,
0: with your podcast.
2: <laughs> it's it's <laughs> working.
0: <laughs> we're talking to the yeah. provider, so <laughs> I don't know how much we're shifting that. We're, but speaking of the podcast, how does your relationship with clients influence your work, and how does it affect you?
2: Yeah, I think it has a, a strong influence on what we do every day. Just when you get several patients. Once you validate their symptoms and their pain and they're crying just from the validation, it's just, it's a lot of motivation to keep going, right? To hopefully get patients earlier on, on the data we collect. The average duration of symptoms right now is 6.7 years. So we're still, we have some work to do, I think. So that that is very motivating and keeps you
1: wanting to keep improving. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that relationship aspect is so important in anyone working with this population because validating and making sure that they feel safe and heard is so important. Is there anything that you do from more of an approach with how you examine or treat patients that helps your patients feel comfortable, develop rapport, things like that? Like anything that you specifically keep in the back of your mind that helps you work with people who are extremely stressed or extremely distraught about their symptoms?
2: Yeah, I think validation is one of them and a lot of listening. So it's just a lot of listening to a story that probably has been told multiple times, but no one's ever really listened properly or heard it. So that's, I think, the most important thing is just to listen and also provide empathy. But it also does help you delineate what's going on. Just from the history, you can tell a lot. And then also, given the history of pelvic trauma in some of our patients, of course, you also want to approach the physical exam slowly, um, always asking
0: permission and wait for the patient to be ready for it. That trauma-informed approach to care is so critical when we're in the pelvis. It's such a sensitive area, such a taboo area. Even without trauma, it can be triggering to Think, oh my God, my provider needs to see my pelvis. What, what will we do there? What will we find?
1: The thing that I would be interested to hear from you would be more of a patient case or a specific way that you collaborated with a multidisciplinary team, psychology, PT, physiatry, and put all of those pieces together. What does that look like when you're in a room all talking together for a specific patient?
2: Yeah, classic patient would be in our patient population, a 26-year-old female grad student who essentially presented with pain with tampon insertion, pain with intercourse, urinary urgency, and some constipation. We refer from a pelvic floor physical therapist quite often. And quite often we'll work together for PT, do our treatment protocol with PT and some suppositories, and they get 50, 60% better, still have some residual abdominal bloating. And then we're referring to psychology as well to, to calm down any underlying subconscious tensing and anxiety, which may be around her grad school, and then eventually potentially getting a gyne endosurgeon if needed as well, given the presentation. So a lot of times we'll treat patients non-operatively. If they respond, we leave them. But If they don't and there's a suspicion of endometriosis, we'll ask our endo expert to take a look as well. So that's what can happen. And then if the patient is a candidate, undergoes surgery, we'll go over what was found. So the pathology positive for endometriosis, and then we'll review intraoperatively where it was. So it was on on the bowel, on the bladder, explains those symptoms, and then we'll see them back post-op as well. So the physiatry and PT and pain psychology will continue post-op and, until the patient's better and doing
1: well. Mm-hmm. It sounds like just a continual check-in then, so you're you're not having a meeting about a patient just one or two times, but you're following them throughout their entire care, layering treatments on as needed, and seeing how they progress with each one before deciding what to do next. Yes, that's exactly how it is.
2: Yep, yep, layering awesome. it on. In. It's a stepwise progression, is how I would say. And then every patient's different. Some stop with PT, some stop with PT and physiatry, some stop with PT and pain psychology. So it really depends, but... Yes, we bring in what is needed. And then we are all, at this point, we don't have nutrition in-house yet. So a lot of it's physiatry. We talk a lot about nutrition, depending on the patient, the bladder diet, with endometriosis and and the anti-inflammatory diet, as well as our pelvic floor PTs we work with are also working on nutrition, right? So they're hearing that aspect from multiple angles. And then we quite often, once patients are in a better place, there is different restorative yoga programs for certain patients. If they have hypermobility, it will be more of a Pilates a stabilization program, but we do promote self-efficacy when they're ready with their dilators if needed. And so it's that sort of approach.
0: And so often we want to shoot for pain-free as the goal as providers. I think we're all a little type A if you're in healthcare, but sometimes we don't get people to that point. How do you handle that when someone is really not responding to these various modalities?
2: Right. Yeah, that's an excellent question. And in the, the data we're analyzing in our patient population, on our female, young female of reproductive age, it's, when they're not responding, it's usually gynecological, which is what I've learned over the years. So mostly endo, but sometimes it's adeno or fibroids, but it's usually gynecological because they they should respond. Between us and PT and what we're doing, um, it's, that's the most common is why it can't release because endometriosis is very common in our patient population. That's just resisting us. The other one that can be challenging is history of trauma. That can also be very challenging as well. So if they're not responding, we always try to get to the root cause as to why they're not responding and then do our best to bring in the appropriate experts and team to help. So if it is history of trauma and then we'll get a proper pain psychologist to help us. If it's endometriosis, we'll pass along to the endometriosis expert in whatever city we're in. So, But if it's a hip hernia combination, that's why they're not responding. Sometimes it's particularly in the men, but the women too. We'll say, listen, I think you've gotten a lot better. Usually it's some sort of response, but it's we, can't, we really can't help this dorsal nerve on the left because that hernia is putting a lot of pressure on it. So it just depends. And I think that that's the most important thing as physiatrists and and PM&R docs is we we need to get to the root cause in order to really help decide what to do (laughs) with the patient, right? And then sometimes the patient still doesn't want surgery on the hernia, but at least we all know what's going on and then we do our best to address it.
0: Excellent. So in your perspective, when's a good time for pelvic PT to refer to physiatry? Let's assume that's available to us. How long of treatment before you say, all right, let's get a second set of eyes on that.
2: Yeah, we typically say after about six to eight weeks, we like to get on board, and sometimes sooner, sometimes. PTs will say at this point, maybe a suppository to help tolerate the PT a little bit can make it more comfortable for them for certain patients. So yeah, about six to eight weeks, we like to get physiatry on board. Conceptually, it's just, you know, what we're doing for our procedures, patients go straight to work. There's no downtime. It's a small needle. It's the same size needle as you all use for dry needling. It's safe. It's pretty standard. People don't have any downtime. So it just gets them better faster conceptually is what we say with PT together, but it still takes six weeks. So it's still a process. So the sooner the better in terms of, even if we work together, it's a three month process.
0: Okay. Gotcha. And I'm with you. Ideally, it would be great if everybody could start all the things together, but there's sometimes logistical barriers to that. Maybe a patient doesn't have the insurance coverage or doesn't quite feel ready to take on more and more providers to work with. But I would say the sooner, the better. Just like we want people referred to us sooner for public PT, I think. If someone's open to it, let's give them everything, and then allow them to make that choice of, okay, I tried it. Where do I want to go next? What feels right to me?
1: Yeah, that's great. How can patients or providers find a physiatrist who specializes in pelvic pain to either refer to or go to as a patient?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. We currently are in 12 cities and we're growing. Honestly, that that would probably be the best is go to Pelvic Rehabilitation Medicine website. And then the other spot I would look is at the International Pelvic Pain Society website. Those are the two spots. So our PRM or IPPS website under find a provider. On those are your two options to try to find a physiatrist who's interested in pelvic pain.
0: Awesome. Excellent. Allison, it's been a pleasure to talk about collaboration. We would love to jump into our lightning round at this point. Sure. Sounds good. Okay. Right. Excellent. So what is your favorite drink at the moment? Water. <laughs> <laughs> Spoken like a doctor who takes their own medicine. That's great. That's awesome. What is the best book you've read lately? Beating Endo. Mm. Excellent. It's a good one. What is the first thing you do in a challenging situation? Take a deep breath. Great. Nice. If you weren't a physiatrist, what would you do for work? Physicist. Ooh, okay. That's the first time we've heard that one. That's a good one. And how do you define being a conscious clinician? Empathy. Mm -hmm. Great answer. Great. Allison, thank you for the work that you're doing to help people with chronic pain, to give them better access to all the services that might help them on their journey. And thank you for coming on and sharing that information with us today. Yes, thank Thank you. Thank you.
2: Thank you, Monica. Thank you, Sammy. Thanks for everything you guys are doing. It's awesome work. Great stuff.
1: Thanks. Thank you. Allison, how can people find you if they want to get in contact or learn more about what you do?
2: So I would go to our website, www.pelvicrehabilitation.com. And we're called Pelvic Rehabilitation Medicine. And there's an email there, contact email. So if you email it and you request to speak with me, I will get
0: back to you. Awesome. All right, great. We'll link all of that in the show notes. Stay conscious, everyone. Till next time. Thank you so much
1: for listening to this episode. Let's keep the conversation going on Instagram at The Conscious Clinician and facebook backslash the conscious clinician links are in the show notes if you enjoyed this episode please subscribe and write a review for the podcast to grow our community stay conscious everyone